All right. Welcome. Uh, this is Dr. Paul for Men's Psychology Magazine, menspsychology.substack.com. And I am here yet again with uh, the illustrious uh, Jeremy Fox from uh, Psych Fox uh, on Substack, as well as his, um, his own uh, kind of growing podcasting uh, phenomenon uh, that he has going in. Uh, as a very skilled clinician and um, and also really good educator, I think you you've uh, heard Jeremy and I talk before about one of his specialties, trauma and PTSD, and a lot of what I've been doing with him has been directing uh, his skills and harvesting a lot of great information from him, specifically for use in the new and growing field of men's psychology or male psychology, which is going to be the probably the newest giant field of psychology for the next 25 years for people to learn about. Because clearly males think differently, at least on the instinctual level, than females. And so there are different forms of therapy that are now proven to be more effective for them for different purposes. So we've covered a lot previously. We've covered uh, trauma. We've covered several types of psychotherapy that are very useful to males that are more goal-setting, action-oriented, skill-building is what males need. They don't need to emote publicly, um, and it actually violates one of their now-discovered instincts, discovered by Dr. John Barry and um, Martin Seeger in London, uh, UCL London, and, and Louise Lydon, that males have an instinct to control their emotions a stoicism instinct. And if you violate an instinct, you produce shame, which is the opposite of the therapeutic result that you want um, in any particular population. So nothing against the folks that promote being vulnerable as courageous, which might be true for female clientele, but it is absolutely not true for males, period. So that the vulnerability stuff is missing half the world's population and what they need. And it's actually, it actually technically would be doing them harm. It would be shaming them, which is depressogenic, um, possibly even suicidogenic. So anyway, that editorializing being said, today's topic, I think uh, I was talking to Jeremy before we got started, is probably the second most important, impactful field of psychology that will be very useful to male patients into the future, um, besides EMDR for PTSD. And it's called positive psychology. Um, most of you have heard of the learned helplessness phenomenon, the learned helplessness experiments, early experiments by Dr. Martin Seligman, who's considered the great grandfather of positive psychology, this new field. Um, it can be at first hard to wrap your mind around what is it, and a lot of folks and bloggers out there have heard of it being um, a new philosophy of psychological growth where we don't pathologize and focus on naming diseases. We instead see humans on a continuum from impaired to excellence in, in behavior and achievement. So why not focus on the positive? and uh, improvement uh, to people's lives. 
Now, in me learning more and more about this field, there's been a branch point partially created by the folks at the British Psychological Society and, and, and John Barry pointing positive masculinity or po positive psychology into a subfield that they're calling positive masculinity. And I also mm -hmm. was not previously aware that not only is Martin Seligman a grandfather of this new field, positive psychology, but so is Mihaly Shintamahali. I didn't know that he was considered like along with Seligman, um, you know, a founder of the field, but he is, you know, he's the, Mihaly Shintamahali from University of Chicago was the guy that discovered mm -hmm. flow state and every athlete knows of him and you're wanting to be in the zone as an athlete. And I just love his famous diagram of the challenge you face in a skill that you need to have needs to be barely out of your reach. And then you're highly motivated to hit that little new goal. Whereas if it's so far yep. out of reach, it's an impossible task. You give up and you're not in flow. You're not in the zone. And if the, the task before you is too easy, you could do it in your sleep. You're also unmotivated and you're not in flow state. So tasks need to be just barely out of reach for you to be in the zone. And that's Mihaly Shintamahali. So what is positive psychology from these two um, elder statesmen of psychology, Martin Seligman and Mihaly Shintamahali? Um, the technical definition is it, it studies conditions that contribute to optimal functioning of people, groups, and even institutions. That last part, I don't quite agree with because that's getting into the area of sociology where I don't belong. I, I want to help individuals. I'm, you know, I'm not public policy person, but okay. They added that to make it extra saleable. Um, 1998 is when Martin Seligman um, chose uh, this new, this name, this positive psychology name. Uh, mm -hmm. as the theme for his presidency, the American Psychological Association back in 1998. And um, like I said, he wanted to point us toward more, more positive positivity in using psychology. There, there mm -hmm. are mentions of the most uh, positive traits. What we're going to get to with this is that positive psychology ultimately is kind of re refabricating Aristotle, believe it or not, for the public, which I just love because Aristotle and some of the ancient philosophers were always asking the earliest psychological question of who am I and why am I here and what am I supposed to do here on earth? And so what they looked for, the ancients were looking for is how do I define a good person? What is being good? And that doesn't mean sports excellence. That means how can I be the best human good to others and to myself? That was their question. And so positive psychology mm -hmm. looks at what we would call character virtues. I think it branches to the psychoanalysts like, um, like Valant with the ego defenses, the levels of maturity, how to become a more mature person is becoming a good person and some master virtues identified by Seligman include specifically resilience, 
thankfulness, and compassion. Resilience, thankfulness, and compassion he views as some master virtues. There are also six others considered ubiquitous core virtues throughout spiritual mm -hmm. leaders of China, South Asia, and the West. And these master virtues known to the world's religions and cultures are these precise ones, courage, justice, humanity, temperance, wisdom, and transcendence. Now, by way of digging into Jeremy's mind a little from here, I want to kind of give us a preview of why are we here specifically? Why do we think mm -hmm. positive psychology is an incredibly important field for you to learn about? And what does it have to do with masculinity? So the basics are that Seligman is basically postulating that focusing on goodness, which is what Aristotle focused on, on virtues, mm -hmm. defining them, pursuing them, trying to uh, embody them in your psychology will benefit you and society. Well, how's that different from just positive affirmations or screensavers that mm -hmm. say Tony Robbins quotes? To right. my mind, not, not a whole lot of difference unless, unless we dig in more to what is Seligman's source material. We ought to be going to Aristotle mm -hmm. himself. We ought to be, in fact, one of the most important concepts that I'm sure Seligman's quite aware of, but I don't know that he teaches it literally as part of his, part of his um, coursework, is Aristotle's idea of the golden mean. It's an incredible idea. Uh, because it literally establishes what you could call a quantum psychology. And here's how. Mm -hmm. Aristotle was basically looking at spectrums of human behavior. Spectrums. Not just locking you into a box and putting a label on it, but we're all on a spectrum. And what he envisioned was that there's a spectrum of virtue and vice. Virtue are positive character attributes. Vice is basically pathologic narcissism. Vice is narcissistic. Virtue is goodness. And Aristotle's genius in this golden mean concept was for every virtue, there are not one but two vices. There is a vice of excess and a, and a vice of deficit. So if you mm -hmm. think of these things we just talked about, humanity, justice, temperance, um, courage, and resilience, then that means, mm -hmm. according to Aristotle, you could have too much resilience and be kind of sloppy with your boundaries and let people take advantage of you. You could have too little resilience and be weak. You could have too much courage and be what's called foolhardy. That's not courageous. Yes. You could be foolhardy, but fools rush in where angels fear to tread, or you could be cowardly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fascinating right. because once you have a spectrum of behavior, you can have a bell curve of humans and you can measure where am I at on the spectrum and you can chart a specific plan and course the way Jeremy is gifted at doing. And then how does that now apply to men? And then I'll, then I'll shut up. How it applies to men in the new subfield they are calling positive masculinity 
carries with it a risk of falling into a bunch of nonsense that's all sociology. It risks falling in, and I, I know you hate me to be anti-sociology, Jeremy, but I, I have to on this one little matter. It, it risks positive masculinity following this programming of men are bad, they need to change their basic nature, and they don't have instincts. That is not true. Males have instincts, females have instincts, but they are on bell curves and they are biology-based instincts. That's what an instinct is. It came from human evolution. The environment triggered over eons of time the development of, of instincts to save our lives and promote our genes and have offspring, both males and females. And they have different reproductive strategies, as we know from the evolutionary psychologists. So the way to really truly use positive psychology as positive masculinity and, and benefit male patients have been neglected by the theorists is to combine evolutionary psychology with positive psychology, which are strange bedfellows, right? Because one's highly biological and the other's more about character development rather than instincts, but they need to be combined. So I'm gonna, I, I was once told by a journalist friend, don't bury the lead, meaning don't hide mm -hmm. your main important point to the end, do it up front. So I'm gonna do it up front. I, I think the only path to this thing called positive masculinity is to understand that masculine instincts are not inherently bad. They are mm -hmm. neutral and their only purpose is to provide and promote successful survival and to find a mate and that means that they and they are they are biologically determined meaning they are just hardwired circuitry they're not up for training or re-education or you know um, uh, brainwashing techniques anything they can't be changed in other words but they can be used for good or bad but it doesn't, that doesn't make them inherently good or bad. What makes a person currently good or bad is the all the other stuff housing the instincts, surrounding the instincts that we call character structure or maturity, mm -hmm. maturity level. So masculinity cannot be inherently bad. What's bad is the lack of something else, which is the lack of character development character, maturity, and virtue. That's why Seligman's so important and positive psychology is so important for males to improve themselves. It's because you can't improve on your masculinity. It's been around for probably a million years and it's not changing. The way to improve is the housing around it that is your goodness, your mm -hmm. maturity, your generosity, and these virtues that you build. And those virtues then guide this powerful force called masculinity, which Freud called libido. And by the way, female libido is femininity. So channel that incredibly strong energy that we would call passion, your passion for life, your passion for living, your passion for others, your passion for your, for your mate, channel it into good goodness structures that lead to generosity and beneficence for those you love. That's my 
that's my uh, uh, soapbox ramble. <laughs> no, I love that. I, mean, I would I would jump in and say it's amazing Aristotle, you know, thousands of years ago created this taxonomy of personality of a spectrum of uh, deficit or excess, right? When it comes to each of the the virtues, like too little courage, too much. I mean, it's very similar to the uh, MMPI, the the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, I think is what I'm thinking of with um, the big five, right? Yes, we, yes. The, the, you know, openness, too little openness and you're closed-minded, too much in your mind doesn't contain anything stable. You're open to any ideas, right? Right. So you have, um, I'm th I think, I think I'm thinking of maybe another personality test, but it, it really, it speaks to the, uh, utility of trait-based models when it comes to, uh, developing your character and your, uh, positive facets. So I don't, I think that the time is right for positive psychology because, the current zeitgeist in the mental health community, uh, especially when you see online and you see different campaigns that are run for mental health reasons and different just advertising, marketing, branding, it's very deficit based. It's very much and this and, and I'm fine with this, by the way, to an extent, but, you know, it's OK to not be OK. That's true. That is true. I think in your friendships, especially men you know, iron sharpening iron, listening to each other, mentorship has really fallen by the wayside, by the way, you do need a space to talk about those deficits and what's going wrong. And I also think that we need a mental health culture of resilience, of of presence and not just absence, right? Like mental health talks tend to summon in people's ideas, I mean, in minds, I think, these ideas of things are going wrong, depression, anxiety. And I think, again, as a starting point, that's fine. But as an ending point, and to make mental health a term that doesn't make you automatically think of mental illness, but instead makes you think of promise and possibility, that you need this kind of model of virtues and values, right? ACT, which we've talked about, acceptance and commitment therapy, is very big on developing your values and your foundation as a person for your development that you then draw on in the hardships. Like we need a mental health model that is focused on healing hardships and not just on the hardships because if you're just thinking about oh, the yeah, negative yeah. guess what nothing will change what you have to think about is how your courage your wisdom which by the way wisdom is a massively under discussed topic in mental health it's not a term uh -huh. you hear much it's kind of a term of antiquity if you think about yeah, it but it doesn't have yeah. to be. so oh, it's I think crucial today, I, I think without yes. wisdom there cannot be growth and the wisdom has to you're, come you're from right. somewhere other than us. It One has of the to biggest problems someone more trained. Yes. One <laughs> of the biggest problems young men face now is they it's like, well, we need to cultivate their passion, their libido. Agreed hundred percent. What's happening? Well, the same way that uh, a, a, someone who's very talented can, you know, find themselves spending that maybe maybe they wanted to be a painter and they don't like that they're creating marketing campaign graphic design or something and their talent kind of got thrown into something they don't like and they want to get out of it same way with passion like young men now what 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 can we look at that they like to do achievements getting right outside that comfort zone 
and doing a little bit better. Where is that being put now? To an extent, video games, to an extent, pursuits that are kind of these fast food processed versions of developing competence and achievement, right? Like it's an achievement to get the next higher rank in Call of Duty. It's an achievement to do all kinds of things. Sports uh, betting is now with young men. Right, you can feel right. the of some money in predicting that your team won or another team that you thought could win. Like that's a that's a passion. Is it a good passion? Can you get addicted to gambling? These are these are big questions. So how do we guard our passions? How do we take our passions and put them into something that helps develop us instead of our passion being siphoned off yes. by other interests? Is right, into huge... consumer spending, right? Yes. So that's Never. a that's a competing force, right? The yes. wasn't it Freud's uh, Freud's nephew was a business trained person who teamed Edward up with Bernays. Bernays, and didn't he create sociology? Book. He created sociology. He at least created propaganda, and he helped to create a campaign. And this is not a lie, by the way. People can Google this. He helped to create, I think it was Lucky Strike cigarettes. Yes. For women, to have yes. women start smoking and have it be a feminist element. I mean, right. that's intense. So, you know, you look yeah. at the usage of psychology, and that's a bigger, that's a great point we could have a whole episode See, about. Is, I want to avoid that. Uh, you know, uh, let me uh, let me interject. Um, I want to say some things that I like about positive psychology and some things I these. don't. And what could Jeremy and I contribute? Could we maybe contribute even so, even something new here? Okay, I think we can. And uh, and here's what it is. As far as I can tell in its current state, we've got what we've got and it's better than nothing to encourage people to learn about virtues, to know what to call them and to pursue them and to set set them as goals. However, I wanna know what is a methodology a training program that grows specific virtues and how exactly do you do it beyond just positive affirmations and telling them they, that this exists. And I think the key is in breaking things down to more elementary uh, factors for growth of which I believe there are three, just three when we're talking about character growth or maturity. Number one, a technology of personal boundaries. Good personal boundaries are a fundamental part of good character. They're universal to all of the ego defenses that, that uh, George Vailant talks about. So you, you can't grow in maturity in your ego defenses and advance yourself without having some kind of improvement in personal boundary function. And we have mm -hmm. a complete technology of that to teach you at men's psychology, where anywhere you see a boundary diagram, you're learning mm -hmm. the elementary particle, one of the three of character growth. What is number two? Probably should come first, actually. Number two is observing ego or mindfulness. So if you get into Buddhism, Zen, yoga, and you practice mindfulness or DBT, mm -hmm. borrowing from DBT, you work on mindfulness, there can be no wisdom without mindfulness. So mindfulness mm -hmm. is an absolute necessity for uh, character growth and maturity. The third factor is a little more vague sounding, but I'll try to make it easy for you. It's choosing constructive behavior over destructive behavior. 
which carries with it a lot of traits uh, for you to work on, such as being mm -hmm. patient, uh, delayed gratification, um, and to make it easiest of all, choose win-win behaviors and communication instead of win-lose behaviors and communication. That comes from, I'm borrowing from John Nash and his Nash Equilibrium, for which he won a Nobel Prize in 1967 and was depicted right. in the film, A Beautiful Mind. Um, mm -hmm. John Nash's uh, Nash Equilibrium basically says, nobody wins unless everybody slightly compromises and tries to help mm -hmm. each other. That everything yes. we do or say ought to benefit, certainly ought to benefit us. Otherwise you're violating the most fundamental core instinctual principles of evolution that you must survive, right? So things have to benefit you, but they should also mm -hmm. benefit others at least slightly. Yes. And then you are contributing to you and to society and to your place in society in a far better way than any kind of outside policy, you know, public policy, sociology, development possibly could. If you as an individual are always seeking to benefit you plus as many others as possible, then you're being win-win in the John Nash equilibrium way, which means you're automatically being what we would call constructive in behavior. Destructiveness yeah. is pure reptilian brained instinctual selfishness. And that mode sure. of behavior is what give, what used to give the old, the concept of traditional masculinity is not real. Masculinity is biological period, but it got this name traditional, which really is not naming masculinity. It's naming bad behavior, pathologic narcissistic behavior that happened to happen to be in males, male subjects that were displaying pathologic narcissism because they're being destructive in their choices. They're being selfish, self-interested and win-lose, which can carry with it a competitiveness. Um, males are naturally competitive and hierarchical. Right. One of our instincts is a seeking of hierarchy. I'm tr I'll try to not right. get in the weeds on this, but we seek hierarchy instinctually for this reason. When males come together it, throughout evolution, their functionality to have the village survive and the, and the species survive was to somehow be able to team up, team up with each other to find food, wage war, and have a defense against warring tribes. And if they didn't have a hierarchy of nomenclature of their job positions, like the chief mm -hmm. spear hunter versus the chief fisherman versus the novice fisherman, if they didn't know where they fit in a hierarchy. They didn't know what tasks to start doing. So there was total chaos. So all of the flattening we have done of hierarchies today is if hierarchies are bad or mentors are bad or somebody having, quote, power in the form of more education than us, who could teach mm -hmm. us that that's somehow bad, destroyed the, the usefulness of masculinity coming together as groups to help a society because they need to know where do, what is my rank in the military? Otherwise, I don't know whether to get behind the wheel of a tank or launch a missile or go train somewhere or do basic training. Where do I fit? I don't know where I fit. 
So when you hear males today say they don't know what their purpose is, that's mm -hmm. why, because hierarchies have been demonized and taken away. Well, positive masculinity would have to establish some kind of training program where males can harvest the energy of their passions and their instincts. And Jeremy had mentioned passions. Your passions are directed in only one of two ways. The word passion is only used in one of two ways throughout history. It's used in romance, romantic interest, obviously, in someone, or it applies to why am I here? What is my purpose in life, my life's purpose? Or for males, they like saying mission. What is my life's mission that I am on? That's something noble that I can uniquely give to the world. That's your mission. Those two places are where your passions need directed, but they need directed with a character structure that is about goodness and growth. And so these are the three elements, good boundaries, observing ego or mindfulness, and trying to choose uh, generosity, generativity, constructiveness, or win-win behaviors. Those are the three elements to character structure growth, I think. And that, and that can be taught to men and women because it, it empowers women's femininity as, as their set of passions too. And everyone benefits uh, in this way. So Jeremy and I were talking about maybe a case example of something we've been discussing, which is forgiveness. Like what, how do, how do we forgive? And you remember Jeremy, we were, we were talking about, you know, how do you, how do you get a patient to a point where they're able to forgive and then to trust again after a trauma? Yeah. You'll, you'll have to kind of prompt me a little bit on this one. Yeah. The, uh, the, the idea of um, forgiveness would be a virtue. It, right. it benefits humans to forgive, to, uh, to reach, to go through the, the uh, to go through the stages of um, grief. And then finally arrive at a peacefulness where one can forgive a wrong that was done. Right. Forgiveness I, is a real. Go ahead. No, you go. It, well, you and I were discussing this, this, uh, this concern or this challenge or puzzle to solve of how do you get a patient to a place where they're able to truly forgive uh, something that has wronged them. And then they can have quote closure and they can move on and they can live a vibrant new life that isn't in the trauma identity of the past. How do mm -hmm. I forgive? And we, we discussed that uh, in one of our talks on men's psychology, this topic came up and got really workshopped by, by the men there and a woman, an, uh, an, an older woman uh, contributed to the discussion. And everyone reached this conclusion that they feel as men and maybe as women too, that it'd be easy, easiest to forgive if one has recovered a sense of power and dignity, mm -hmm. has recovered from their trauma to the degree that whatever was taken from them, which if it, all traumas are going to be shaming experiences, right? And in our definition right. of what is shame for a male, shame is depletion of masculinity. It's being emasculated. Mm -hmm. That's shame for a female. It's depletion of femininity. And that's the power that they're saying they're missing 
that they have a they have trouble forgiving until they get to the point of recovering their masculine level and which is their dignity and is their passion it's a feeling of libido or being alive is what freud meant by that is life force mm -hmm. you get your life force back right. by recovering from trauma and it's at that point that i think and these and our members thought that you're at the point of being able to truly forgive someone because you're no longer disempowered yeah. absolutely so all of this kind of correlates and and is congruent here so what we know about memory reconsolidation in therapy and it's just a neurological principle is if you actively bring up a traumatizing or upsetting memory and you make it unstable or you make it susceptible to rewriting by thinking of how it felt in the moment viscerally physically emotionally right the details of it and i don't really recommend people do this on their own clearly but in in, in therapy models like emdr or um rapid resolution therapy there's different models out there you essentially take that memory and then somehow whether through eye movement with emdr or through then putting in some positive stuff with I mean, rapid resolution therapy gets a little more like drawing positive stuff in quicker i think than emdr um you pull in a sense of empowerment going to that recovery of lost power that we're talking about as necessary for forgiveness and so just as a general principle that ability to have resilience to have mastery memories i like to call them which is not like that's a, a term out there i think probably but this idea of experiences of mastery or feelings of when you were loved or appreciated for something and by the way when you start thinking of things in terms of those positive psychology virtues that will be easier for you to bring up right like when you have more resilience thankfulness compassion focused memories that you can kind of have like a, play, a memory playlist and you can draw from experiences where you felt empowered and crucially it's really helpful to have those in a sense where they can't be taken away so so skill and strategy focused and action focused things that you've done right can be very powerful right? with forgiveness recognizing that you do have options in the future you can look at your boundaries and see if they need a tune up you can see if you need to add a few more red flags to your um experience like a few more that you can notice have oh this was a bad sign i felt like i was putting too much into the relationship early on and i was willing it to happen or i overlooked this because i found this person very enchanting those kind of things can help you regain power and say all right well now i know that there's things to look out for i mean people can be totally blindsided i understand that and for those situations because i've helped people like that but um realizing that that recovery like we talked about you mentioned the stages of grief there's going to be anger there's going to be bargaining there's going to be denial all those things can cycle not just once they can come back around but to go back to flow and to go back to this idea of stepping outside your comfort zone gradually making those new experiences and having positive psychology as a roadmap can be very useful with forgiveness and realizing you may have to introduce your own closure with a therapist with a mentor somehow saying i'm choosing how to close this down in my life now definitively i don't wish this person harm 
I mean, forgiveness doesn't have to mean that you put your, it doesn't mean that you put yourself in the exact same position again and just reset without that lesson learned or without that extra precaution that you want to implement. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you you had me thinking a lot about uh the character from i always think of greek myths as you know when when we're talking mm -hmm. about biologic sex and the instincts i thought of philoctetes right it was told to me in an er 30 years ago by a psychiatry professor he, he was like hey why don't i teach you something since we, uh, mm -hmm. we have downtime and he goes um you know the story of philoctetes completely explains uh trauma for males and how it can turn to wisdom and growth. And he mm -hmm. said Philoctetes was basically the golf caddy to Hercules and um, was was honored by being the assistant to Hercules. And he would carry Hercules's uh, uh, bow and arrows in battle for him. And then when mm -hmm. Hercules died, Philoctetes had the honor of lighting the funeral pyre and he was bequeathed yeah. the bow and arrows of Hercules, very powerful weapon. And he became mm -hmm. a physician. So he was going to be the ship's physician as they were sailing to Troy to fight the Trojan War. But unfortunately, Philoctetes was bit by a snake on the boat, on the ship. And the wound, which represents trauma, festered mm -hmm. and festered and became stinky and infected. And it was disgusting to the other sailors, so much so that it was ruining their morale and they kicked him off the ship. They kicked their own ship's physician off the ship on an island. I believe Lemnos mm -hmm. was the island. And they go on to Troy and they're losing badly. They go to the Oracle of Apollo and ask, why are we losing and how could we win instead? And the Oracle said, well, you left your friend Philoctetes on that island. And mm -hmm. you, you cannot win without his knowledge of the bow and arrow of Hercules. You got to go back to get him if you want to win the Trojan War. So they mm -hmm. went back to get him. And what John, this this uh, professor, taught me about this myth is that there's something about having gone through a trauma that, believe it or not, can be exceedingly positive and optimistic in the sense that it's like getting a superpower that nobody mm -hmm. else has knowledge of except by way of being traumatized, which you can mm -hmm. then take and use as a strength in the future and to teach others to have that strength. You can become a teacher right. and a mentor by having had that trauma. It's just profound. And I'll, I'll tell you something else. I was just flying back, uh, taking, a, taking a flight, and I saw a movie on a flight just <laughs> yesterday. And it was, it was phenomenally good. It was a love story. I like rom-coms. I like analyzing them, and I enjoy them. And this was one with uh, Zach Efron from a okay. pretty new movie called uh, The Lucky One. And in brief, mm -hmm. it was a story of comparing two men, a bad ex-husband to a young boy and a, a new uh, romantic interest for the now single mom who had been in uh, uh, the wars in the Middle East and mm. had, had, had made it out alive, escaped an explosion because he found a photo of a woman. And there's this big long story as to why this photo is there in the desert, in the rubble. But because he was gazing at the beautiful woman in the photo, all of his buddies got blown up and he did not. 
and he decided he had to find the, this woman that saved his life. Sure. Talk about going through a trauma, the trauma of war, and then going on a quest, a mission to find this unknown woman that saved his life by way of her photo. And he solves all these mysteries. He ends up in Louisiana back in the United States and he finds her. And then I don't want to ruin the end of the story, but the man she was married to was kind of like false, masculine, propped up, fake, um, bravado, macho guy who was Mm -hmm. pretending to be masculine, but had not himself been through the trials and tribulations of the traumas that that sharpened the steel of the Mm -hmm. man, whereas the superior mate for this woman and a superior father to her child would be the soldier who had done real life-threatening, harrowing things, dared to have the courage to be a soldier. Yeah. And it it makes me, it's remarkable that, you know, that just happened to me the day before we meet to talk about positive masculinity and what is it. So, so it's not, it's not just having good character, absent masculine instincts. And it's not just having masculine instincts that are misdirected and that are like bravado or macho or just instinctual, like a reptile, you know, like animalistic masculinity. It's both. There has to be both the masculine passion and the structure around it of goodness of character. And that's what the hero of this movie uh, that I watched had. He had both high character, very mature, diplomatic, kind man, but a damaged man who had recovered from his from his traumas with higher masculinity. Yeah, right. I mean, I think this is this speaks to what is your gender role? What is your personality? Does it have depth to it? Or have you just picked up performative actions associated with the gender you identify with, right? Like as a man, do you know certain things to say or ways to behave because it's how your father or brothers or friend group behaved and you're just mimicking that? Or have you developed insight into why these things matter? Have you developed awareness that being protective, being generous, being the initiator as a man has reasons behind it. I mean, it's akin to someone having a five page summary of the works of Shakespeare versus someone else who studied it and made it their life's work, right? It's right. Do you know why certain things are valued? Do you know why they're expected? Do you know what your really rights are as a man, as a woman, what you should look out for? I mean, boundaries is great. I'm glad you brought that term up because if you're an ethical man of high character, you'd better be aware of how that can get sidetracked, how people who are hurting or who aren't, who, who have their interests in mind and not yours can manipulate that. Same with women. You'd better be aware of how being a virtuous woman can be appealing to someone who wants you to fix them and who has no intention of changing and meeting you at your high developmental level. The higher your developmental level goes, the more healthily skeptical you must be, or your talents will be wasted. Wow. And I think these romantic comedies are, and, and shows are great at showing how two people can find each other who are at that level 
through different trials and misunderstandings typically. And that's what's so exhilarating about it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's profound. Could you say that again, that if you are at a high level of development, mm -hmm. you're naturally going to, are you not going to attract people of similar virtue or, or both people of similar virtue and lesser virtue who might you use you? Yeah, so I, I think statistically, the higher developmental level you go, the more likely it is that you are in a new group with less people. So and I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but what I'm saying is you've got like um, Levenger's ego developmental model and there and you have um, Keegan's developmental. You have all of these different models of development where it's like you have conventional morality, which is basically... I do what I do because society says it's the right thing. And then you have like post-conventional, you have, no, I've internalized these principles and I do this because I believe in these principles I follow, right? Which is really what you're training people with ACT therapy to do is increase their ego development, meaning their personality development. So you, you have to be careful because the healthier you are as a person, I mean, we see this in marriage, we see this in people dating, we see this in people who keep choosing the wrong person because they have a high level of empathy and they have a desire to heal others, but dating is not your missions field. It shouldn't be. It's not uh -huh. where you go to heal people. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, it's like this, how good does your life raft look? And so who's going to come to that? Like if you've got two people in life rafts who survived a boat accident and they find each other, great. They're not going to really be desperate and they're not going to try to monopolize the other's time because they're both surviving but if you you have a really nice life raft and you're you're kind of paddling along you're going to get people who are drowning who are tugging at it and who are very desperate to get your attention and who want you to focus on them and they will say what it takes they will do what it takes and so that's how you end up oh. with people are dating who are high development level often whoever is the most I don't want to, the, the most available, who, who wants to talk the most and is quickest to lock you down, maybe someone who really wants something that you're offering because of their own deficit. And again, like, I just think we can look now at values and we can look at in culture what people's narratives are. Like, do they, do you value wisdom? Do you value outward facing virtues or do you value getting things and feeling good in the moment. I mean, that should be a, a, a very big question anyone asks while dating. And if it's the former, if it's someone who values contributing and wisdom to others and being wise, congratulations, that's awesome. You found someone who's really trying to grow. But if not, you have to be aware that they will be really, they'll enjoy your wisdom. They might not implement. I mean, it just, it's kind of this thing with in trauma therapy that you see where people who are very empathic can often get used a lot. So what huh. I the, the quote was the, the more developed you you get, um, the more skeptical in a healthy way, healthfully skeptical you have to be so that you can preserve that and not burn out. Same as in our professions, you have to be very aware as a therapist or a psychiatrist of your own boundaries because people will ask you after hours to basically give them free therapy, and they won't ask right. it like that. Can I have free therapy from you? It'll be you know, one question, another question, another, and I mean, I'm doing a podcast for God's sake, so I don't mind talking about this stuff, but you have to just sort of notice like, ah, does, does everything keep coming back around to someone wanting answers from me? Do yeah. they keep redirect? Why are we engaging this? Why do they want to talk to me? You just have to have those kind of 
moments of awareness and just that healthy level of observing ego, observational mindfulness about everything. Well, okay. So then by way of example, for us to uh, kind of conclude uh, this lesson about positive psychology and positive masculinity, what could the future hold for it? It would be highly useful to males uh, who have not you know, had, had enough tools. Taking your example yeah. of a highly evolved person, let's say, who's very mature, who yeah. I, I, I'm quite certain that one of the categories of necessary commonalities in a lasting, durable romantic relationship is having similar maturity level similar yes. evolution as a person, right? Yes. But you're saying yes. there's also a built-in risk of your life raft is attractive and people mm -hmm. are grabbing onto your life raft too. Yes. Therefore, mm -hmm. how would we use some of these tools that are necessary? We would have to have observing ego or mindfulness enough to notice mm -hmm. this happening, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, second element of character maturity is boundaries. We would have to have the boundaries to say no mm -hmm. to the hangers on and look for the person who is our, our mate, our peer yeah. of similar mm -hmm. ev evolution, evolved uh, development and look mm -hmm. for them and notice them and have the observing ego, the mindfulness to notice them. And then the boundaries to get to them and separate the wheat from the chaff, do they say, which is what yeah. human courtship is. It's more about mm -hmm. process of elimination than selection. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. finally, to be doing the right thing by them and to guard our own ethics and conduct in terms of being win-win constructive yeah. in behavior. So that's all higher brain stuff. Males and it, females it, it, are equivalent there. They have equivalent cerebral cortices. They have equivalent IQ potential. They have equivalent potential for maturity. What about masculinity now? So let's mm -hmm. go back to, to finish this by going back to the example of reaching forgiveness. How would you reach forgiveness? How could positive psychology and positive masculinity evolve beyond just um, positive affirmations? You know, like good traits we all should pursue. So what? How are we gonna literally build those good traits? I think mm -hmm. one of the ways of doing it is coming from the research of John Barry, Martin Seeger, Louise Lydon, who are looking sure. at proof there are masculine instincts, of which there are now three they have found. Mm -hmm. And so as advice to males in therapy, this going back to the concept of be vulnerable, you should be vulnerable like me. Right. I, I like being vulnerable, so I want to make you be vulnerable. Well, bad idea if you're a male. So as, as these masculine instincts start being defined and discovered and proven, males mm -hmm. could then keep those rules in mind for themselves that there's scientific mm -hmm. proof, instead of the crazy sociology ideas out there, there's, there's proof mm -hmm. that you should not be vulnerable if you wanna stay feeling masculine. You should keep your cards close to the vest and then mm -hmm. once you trust somebody enough that you've proven yourselves to be true friends of good character, then mm -hmm. you can tell the person what you really feel and share privately 
with that proven person in your life rather than just going right. around being vulnerable to everyone. That's right. an example of how to correctly practice being a being male be, and being masculine. That's yes. a literal program for it. And we will need 15, 20, 30 such defined masculine instincts for us to be able to literally practice at the core elements of what masculinity really is, which are these mm -hmm. instincts. And I'm telling you, the Greeks already figured it out for us because they have all these various names of gods and goddesses who have mm -hmm. their names because they have a superpower, a special skill that they're known for, mm -hmm. which are all elements of masculinity and femininity. It's right. already laid out for us at the time of the philosophers. The ancient philosophers mm -hmm. already gave us the nomenclature, which is why right. I call it the Zeus instinct, the Ares instinct, the Philoctetes instinct, the Hera, Aphrodite, Apollo, and Athena mm -hmm. instincts. That's the nomenclature I want to use. What I so, like the most. Wow. The, you go ahead. No, no. What, what are your, some of your conclusions as we start to end here? Well, what I like most about the, the Philoctetes story, um, and of course I grew up in, I, I remember the nineties, uh, Hercules movie where, oh, yeah. um, yeah. the, the great, um, Dane DeVito played Phil, the trainer to Hercules is this grizzled, uh, I think he was a fawn. He had deer legs and human body. It was <laughs> very funny, but, uh, that story, like, so feel like TD's got a an injury and so it wasn't treated i don't know the ins and outs of that story but you know there's a lot of um humorous sort of anecdotes and cliches about men not not cleaning a wound or fixing something it's like so so that's an interesting element of that is there was a wound involved and then his colleagues kind of selfishly in the moment tossed him aside but it, ultimately it was self-defeating to lose a colleague, a comrade, a healer out of their own temporary disgust and inability to see the bigger picture. And so then they had to go right that wrong. And so what does that say today? It says in an era of swipe based culture of this person's just right, this one's not, I'm gonna dump this person, date another one, that colleagues and people in your life and in your story are not so easily disposed. And if you do, if you do discard others in your life, you never oh. know could have been wow. meeting. Wow. It goes into, you know, pe people's friendships can be very fragile and superficial. Now I hear that a lot with clients, like they'll be shocked that their friends are so um, unwilling to listen or hold space for them as they will hold space for another. And I think that a, a big, big peril that, that people find is like the more like selflessness can become a default state. And I think it's very difficult for high developmental level people to think that you have to be tactically selfish or tactically self-preserving because the bigger picture there is you cannot give to others if you have nothing left and you have to, that's a good mantra is like, I have to preserve myself to give. And that goes into Christian theology, it goes into taking time to rest and recharge because you minister to others. And, and anyone who's a high developmental level needs to realize that, I think. And that's where going to these values and virtues of positive psychology can really benefit of positive experiences, boundaries. It's not a dirty word. It's kind of a cliche now, but what it really means is having a structure 
to know what you're comfortable with, what you're not, when to intervene and say, I need a break before it turns into a blow up, before it goes into destructive behavior or withdrawal, which is a lot more disruptive to your relationships than saying, I'll get back with you Monday. I got to take some time this weekend to decompress. I mean, you're really investing in your future by looking into positive psychology traits, values, virtues, and implementing them before things reach a point where there's a big rupture in a relationship or you're burned out. And investigate your narratives about what it means to, to be a man. Do you think it only means sacrifice? Because if you do think that, you will, you will find yourself hollow and drained very quickly. Do you think it just means being an alpha chad Sigma male who dates women. If you do that, then you will find it very hollow and you will find that when that stops giving pleasure, that you don't know what your life's work is at all. Right. 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 To feel like you know nothing about yourself or what to do. Wow. Wow. Thank you. You're, uh, you've just made a case for how you could write a book as well called Why Cancel Culture Needs Canceled based on Philoctetes, the lack mm. of wisdom in us disposing of potentially recoverable people who maybe have talent and genius even right. could have contributed and we will mm. lose because of the loss of them and our lack mm. of forgiveness of what yeah, they've I done. Agree. Yeah, I think, I think there's always a role for exploring intent and what people really mean and what's going beyond the headline that's another yeah. good, good and there's back. justice you know there there's some very yeah, agree, egregious wrongs though but justice 100%. meets meets out the appropriate amount of punishment um wow yeah that's i'm gonna think about that for a long time but this is a this is a a, a growing exciting field um, yes i i'm excited to see what the future holds for for jeremy and his works and his future books and um, and what we come up with here at, at men's psychology as well in teaming up with these other academic teams around the world that are starting to grow. Mm. So thank you, Jeremy. And, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. I'm looking forward to it as well.